am now going to open up God's Word, and I am so thankful. I feel like um, as we go through announcements and things, I love that we take time at Sunnybrook to transition to the Word, to move our focus under what we are going to hear today from God's Word. So we are in John 7 today, and we're going to be reading through verses 1 through 24. And I am going to read that for us now, and then Jim will come, and I'm excited to hear what God has to tell us today through John and as he speaks through Jim. So here we are, John 7. After this, Jesus traveled in Galilee, since he did not want to travel in Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him. The Jewish festival of shelters was near, so his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea so your disciples can see your works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he's seeking public recognition. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. But Jesus told them, my time has not yet arrived, but your time is always at hand. The world cannot hate you, but it does hate me because I testify about it that its works are evil. Go up to the festival yourselves. I'm not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he said these things, he stayed in Galilee. After his brothers had gone up to the festival, then he also went up, not openly, but secretly. The Jews were looking for him at the festival and saying, where is he? And there was a lot of murmuring about him going among the crowds. Some were saying, he's a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he's deceiving the people. Still, nobody was talking publicly about him for fear of the Jews. When the festival was already half over, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. Then the Jews were amazed and said, how is this man so learned since he hasn't been trained? Jesus answered them, My teaching isn't mine, but it's from the one who sent me. If anyone wants to do his will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own. The one who speaks on his own seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Didn't Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You have a demon, the crowd responded. Who is trying to kill you? I performed one work and you are all amazed, Jesus answered. This is why Moses has given you circumcision. Not that it comes from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses won't be broken, are you angry at me because I made a man entirely well on the Sabbath? Stop judging according to outward appearances. Rather, judge according to righteous judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Deborah. This morning, this is our text, and therefore I have to preach it and teach it. Uh, And it's one of those texts that, that comes and it speaks of a truth that we know and that probably we all wrestle with. And that's this, that there are those that are going to oppose us. There are going to be those who are going to argue with us. There are those that are going to cause tension in our relationships because we're just not on the same page. And it's not just a matter of opinion. No, it's the consequences are far more reaching and far more important. And we're not arguing over strawberry or chocolate. You go first. No, this is a much deeper issue. 
Who do you believe that Jesus is? And how, as, how is Jesus shaping and changing everything about you? And those are complicated conversations to have, aren't they? It's why many of us actually keep a lot of the spiritual journey that we have up here or maybe in here. But in terms of like ongoing conversations, even with those who are closest to us, they, they happen here and there. But, but they don't happen with probably as much regularity as they should. And for that reason, probably, it's um, understandable that you and I might be shocked by the fact that there are people who follow Jesus who face opposition. You, a follower of Jesus, have people in your life who oppose what you believe and how you've chosen to follow him. And I guess it makes sense that we would literally say, like, I don't understand the big deal. I don't understand the problem. After all, doesn't Jesus just tell us that we should care for others? It isn't really what it means to be a Christian, to be loving and kind and gracious? And the answer is yes and more. Have you ever just thought to yourself, I just don't understand the problem? Part of it is it's our view of God. We look at him, we, we, we try to look at him and understand who he is, and God is love, by the way, and he is, more than you and I could ever fully understand, he is love, and he is gracious, and he is kind, and he is forgiving, he is all of those things, and so it makes sense that you and I might squint a little or be confused then I just don't understand why there's so many people who oppose this. Who, who opposes love? Shouldn't it be obvious? Like, shouldn't it just seem easy? Like, why is it that there is just so much outright opposition to God and to the ways of God? And in reality, if you just keep reducing everything down to its least common denominator... You try to make everything, all the world religions have this in common. By the way, by the time you actually talk about that, it really doesn't seem to matter much about what they believe or how they act. And so maybe it's good that you and I stop for a moment and realize that texts like John 7 maybe remind us that one of the reasons why you and I are confused or why, why we're frustrated with the ways of God, because those ways of God create real tension in us and in our relationships. Like, it doesn't just stay disconnected. No, it, it comes home, <laughs> and it lives at some of the most intimate places, and it begins to, to create tension in, in, in the most important and significant relationships, doesn't it? So maybe it's important that we say, okay, so what then is it about God? And truly, the way of God is not, and I've got a way that is just better about you because it's all about you. No, that's an American version. It's a Western version. It's a modern, maybe postmodern version, although I think it goes all the way back. No, the Bible says that when God speaks and as God reveals himself, over and over and over again, he points out this. It's about me. It's about me and who I am. It is about my plan. It is about my purpose. It is about my glory. Like I made you with a, with a, with a purpose. I made you with a plan. 
I made you according to a design. And, and therefore, I'm not just asking you to be a kinder, more polite, more get-alongable version of yourself. I'm asking you to recognize who I am and to live in, in the shadow of me and, and for my glory, not yours. And that's the rub. It's not about our glory, it's about his. And maybe it's good for us to be reminded of that. That when you and I or the people that we love have an interest that's not for the glory of God, but for the glory of something else, and maybe even noble things, and good things, and worthwhile things, not as worthwhile as him, but still worthwhile things, that that is where the rub is. That's where the opposition is. And maybe that'll help us. Not just understand how to deal with the struggle, but to be faithful in the struggle. Because in reality, the Bible makes it very, very clear that these struggles that we have and the tension that exists come from a number of different places. And if the enemy was just always over there, or if the enemy was just always someone that I really didn't care about, I think it'd be easier to deal with. But as we see in John chapter 7, sometimes the enemy is much closer, or sometimes the enemy or the opposition is just a lot more than I ever really thought. That's John 7. That's what our, our text is dealing with today. And, and therefore, you and I have to deal with it to understand just the nature of what our faith in God is like and just how, um, how, how deep they intrude into us and how far-reaching they are in all of our relationships. Because therefore, you and I don't really have the, uh, the opportunity, and when I say luxury, I don't think it would actually be a good thing to just selectively choose what we're going to believe and how we're going to live. And, and by the way, this opposition is more than just a matter of, you know, I, just, I, I wish we could get along better so that Christmas would go easier. And Thanksgiving dinner wouldn't be so awkward. No, it's a lot more than that. It's, 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 it's more complicated than that. It's, it's not just about a meal. It's about a relationship. Actually, what we see in John chapter 7, it is about all relationships. And what this text asks us is, do you take Jesus and is he a part of your life? Is he a part of your belief system? Is he a part of the way that you organize your relationships? Or does he truly stand front and center? And so many of us, like water and electricity, try to find the path of least resistance. And so there becomes subtle changes in what we believe and how we act so that we can just get along. And then we convince ourselves, and maybe I'm just speaking about myself, I just convince myself but isn't that just the Christian way? And, and there's enough truth in each of those things that it becomes incredibly deceitful and incredibly harmful. But we just don't find out until it's too late. Or we don't understand what we're losing until maybe it's gone. And maybe that's why we don't get to pick when John 7 shows up. When these words from Jesus 
approach us. That's one of the reasons that I actually like saying, we're going to preach through John, don't know how it's going to fit into the calendar. We'll make some minor adjustments, you know, for Easter and for Christmas and for maybe a few other days, but in the end, no, it's just going to come when it's come. And, and today, on this Sunday in May, we're dealing with Jesus, helping us all understand that there are going to be moments when opposition is just going to hit close from home. When I gave that title to Kim, who kind of types up her bulletin, Kim said to me, she's really, really good at just checking on grammar. She said, "Um, Jim, I think you got your title wrong. And I said, no, I didn't. I'm just trying to be whimsical. What what, what should it read? What would you expect it to read? When opponents hit close, what? To home. Meaning it just, it really hits in here. Yeah, no, that's actually just kind of an assumed. No, I'm actually looking at it from another direction is that according to John chapter 7, even Jesus, you know, the one when the angel came to his mother and said, and seemed to me, at least when I read the Luke account, it's pretty clear. As I look in Matthew chapter 1, when the angel speaks to Joseph, it's fairly obvious who Jesus is and what that's going to mean. And I just can't imagine Mary and Joseph never breathing a word of what happened to his brothers and sisters. But it just seems like there's something that is going on within Jesus' family. And just being family didn't make it all better. Didn't make the tension go away. And what Jesus has already experienced in John's Gospel, John chapter 2, we now see highlighted here. It's almost like John wants us to be very aware of the one who cares for Jesus' mother after Jesus' ascends back into heaven, that John wants us to be very aware that who Jesus is and what Jesus demands of his followers is so far-reaching and is so integrated into Jesus, the master teacher. Um, The master, he, he lived life so well, perfectly, that it created tension even for his own family. And then what do you do? What do you do when there's like spiritual tension with moms and dads and brothers and sisters or your closest friends? And what we do, and maybe in the name of love, is we try to find ways to dial it down, to soften it, for the sake of, and I'll just assume like I like to assume for myself, it's all well-intended. I really think it's best. By the way, you got, you, you, we all know this, right? You have to pick your battles. And when it's the people that I love the most, what I have found is not only do I pick the battles, but I, just very, I pick very few battles. Just trying to keep the peace. Mom doesn't like it when we argue over turkey and stuffing. And yet Jesus is reminding us, no, there are times when opposition comes really rather close. I mean, it hits close from home. So you take everything that is personal and you add those layers that make it just the most personal. And Jesus says to you, I understand. Like, I don't just know what you're going through. Like, I experienced what you're going through. 
I know what it's like to face opposition. I know what it's like to face hardship. And I know what it's like. Jesus understands he was tempted in every way that we are, which means at some level, Jesus was tempted to take the words that he would speak or the actions that he would make and just wonder, is there a way in which I can adjust or modify these things so I just don't sound so out there? I mean, truly, there are probably few of us in this room who really want to be known as the one who's radical, who, want, who wants to be known, I'm the radical one, I'm the fundamentalist. Like, now there's a bad F word that's not popular today. Like, isn't that the problem with the world? It's just that everybody is like dying on these hills and shouldn't, it, shouldn't we just kind of just all move towards in the middle? And by the way, I, I get the question. But we still need to allow Jesus to be the one that gives us the direction in terms of what we do. So the first thing that Jesus makes very, very clear is that you will face opposition. I thought about it, and we'll, we'll look at a, a, a small section of this from, from, uh, from John chapter 7. But just so we understand, Jesus made it maybe more clear in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus actually says to his own disciples, Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 36, he says this, don't think that I've come to bring peace into the world. Well, we didn't make that up, Jesus. That's what the angel said. Peace on earth and goodwill. And then the angel said, upon those whom God's favor rests. The angels understood that the peace that Jesus is going to bring wasn't going to be peace for everyone, and definitely, if you know what happened at Easter, it definitely wasn't always peace to him. But he came to bring peace. He came to bring peace to us, with God and with each other. But Jesus said, don't think that I've just come to bring peace, because the peace that I come to bring, this is my translation, the peace that I come to bring will bring a sword to many of you. And there's going to be opposition and there's going to be conflict that will exist because of me and because of who I am and because that I will not be domesticated. And I'm not going to dial it down. Jesus always spoke the truth in love. But he was the perfect blend of that. He didn't act less truthful and more loving. No, those are categories we try to make up. Jesus spoke all the truth in all the love. You and I wrestle with it, but that's what Jesus did. And that caused husbands and wives to disagree. That caused fathers and sons and daughters and mothers and sons and daughters and all the relationships. It, it didn't just go well for all of them. And that is why whenever you think about like opposition and conflict in the Bible, words like murmuring or grumbling or complaining or arguing really is kind of the root of it. It's, it's not all just knives and swords. No, it begins verbally. It begins very internally. It, I would even argue probably begins in the home where moms and dads are trying to keep the peace with somebody that just seems bent on doing it their way. Well, what I don't want to do is I don't want him to have to go out there and try to figure this out by himself. 
Well, but we got to make a stand. We can't just let him do anything that he wants. No, I understand that, but we need to love him. And there's just no way I'm going to abandon my son. That's an ancient conversation. It's an ancient conversation. And yet I guarantee you, a lot of you are going, hmm, I had that this week. Jesus talks about this opposition in John chapter 7, verses 12 and 13, by saying it this way, there was a lot of murmuring about him among the crowds. Some were saying he is a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he is deceiving the people. Still, nobody was talking publicly about him for fear of the Jews. This is Jesus. This is who Jesus is. He's someone that everybody has to have an opinion about. And as much as it seems strange to me why someone would hate Jesus, I was teaching a class years ago at the college, and um, I just said it was a rhetorical question. And I was trying to point out what I'm trying to point out right now. Like, very few people just don't like Jesus. So I asked the question, who would, would ever just go, I hate Jesus? Who would ever? And then a young man named Phil, who loved to answer every rhetorical question, I didn't know what he was doing. thought he might have like a point, really. And I just said, Phil, you have something that you want to say? And he said, yeah, the devil. I went, what? I, I literally, I'm not even making the connection. What do you mean the devil? Oh, uh, you asked me who hates Jesus, and my answer is the devil. <laughs> God bless Phil. <laughs> really? I mean, did God bless Phil? Sure. Other than the devil... Like, who really likes to say, I hate Jesus? By the way, some of you are going, ah, I know some people, actually. And, and can I even say that it, it probably, I don't know if it's my job to just be offended that someone would hate Jesus. There might even be something wrong in my lack of understanding who Jesus is if he doesn't have more enemies. Like Maybe one of the reasons why a lot of my friends or family don't have a problem with Jesus is because the way that I describe him, he just doesn't create a lot of tension in their lives. I think a lot of the, the Jesus that a lot of people like is this he's a good man guy. No, but if he really is who he says he is, then he's more than a good man. And if he's not who he says he is, then he really is deceiving the people. And he needs to be stopped. And that's what they did. They understood the consequences. And so Jesus made it very clear. When you understand who I am, and you then align yourself with me, expect opposition. From the bad guys, yep. And you might want to put on your big boy pants or your big girl pants to deal with just who those people might be in your life. I want to buckle up for this one because there are going to be some relationships that are not just going to be strained, but that are going to be broken and even lost because of who Jesus Christ is. That's John 7. That's what Jesus is describing. And I think for many of us, that just sounds so different than the Jesus I usually talk about. After all, most churches like to do this, and we do it too. We're not just taking shots at other churches. We have conversations. Oh, are you having marital problems? You should come to Sunnybrook. We have a marriage ministry. We've got a Stephen ministry. We've got lots of different ministries and we can help you in your marriage. 
Are you having problems raising your kids? You need to come to Sunnybrook. We've got a family ministry team that just understands about just how to raise kids. And, and we're going to do a great job helping you raise your children and the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And, and you get to do it in community. And we even have like smoked meat. Like what, what's better than brisket to fix a family problem? You need to come. I mean, honestly, have you ever heard someone say, oh, your marriage is going great. You need to come to Sunnybrook. We can fix that. Are you guys kind of getting along like really, really well? Oh yeah, no, 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 no. You need to come to Sunnybrook. We'll, we'll definitely put some tension there. Oh, you're, you're getting along great with your kids? Well, by the way, once, once we start dealing with the fact of what it means to actually train them to love Jesus even more than you, I, I promise you that once you really kind of get involved in our youth ministry, there's going to be more tension than you've had in your family in a long time. We don't talk like that. I don't, I'm not even saying we should, by the way. But maybe we don't talk honestly about the kind of opposition that we see, and that's why John 7, when it comes to us, just seems like a slap in the face. Where's this coming from? I was here all along. Um, All of us, I'm confessing to you today, have a tendency to just want to dial it down, moderate it, so that we can just get through the week. Jesus says, no, this difficulty is going to come from everyone. Look at John chapter 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled in Galilee since he, was, since he did not want to travel in Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him. The category there is the Jews. By the way, it's not all the Jews. No, he had disciples who loved him and he had some other people who really loved him and cared for him, but it was a lot of people. Actually, the Bible teaches Paul's going to make this statement. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Paul actually makes a statement that all of us were dead and were objects of wrath and enemies of God. So this opposition that exists truly comes from everyone. So does that mean we spend all of our time just kind of on the lookout? Or like this, I knew you weren't my friend. Like I don't trust any of you people. None of you people. I don't think that's what Jesus is describing here. I really don't. No, we'll we'll sing in a moment. We are the sons and we are the daughters of God. There is something special about family. But this text teaches us that even sometimes family is going to surprise you or complicate things or get difficult. And so even though we shouldn't be uh, everyone, we should be aware that, no, it could come from anyone. It really could. And that's why we need to be prepared to stay devoted to Jesus And to always act like Jesus, because we don't know where it's going to come from. And one of the most painful truths is this, is it could even come from you and me. I was at a conference in Atlanta one time, and the speaker there was one of my favorites at the time. I just loved hearing him speak. He was just so gifted. And his story was so rough. It just seemed so real. He told about the fact that growing up, he did not have a dad. And so there was always this estranged relationship. And then his dad, I guess, had began to have some some spiritual journeys in in God's direction. And so they were going to meet, and he was pretty excited to meet his dad because he had a lot he wanted to tell him. I want to just kind of let him have it. 
After all, after he did, after all that he abandoned. And, and so he was looking forward to the conversation, but he, he, he had confessed, he admitted that it had some barb to it. It had some edge to it. But he couldn't wait to see his dad and to let him know. Yeah, you might be going through a spiritual experience, and I'm kind of glad, I guess, that you're coming to some realizations, but can I tell you what you did to me? Can I tell you how much you, and he says, this is his confession. He was really looking forward to having this speech with him, to just kind of letting it out. And then the Lord came and said to him, I don't know what that experience was exactly. These are his words, not mine. The Lord said, do not get in the way of what I am doing with your father. Do you understand me? It really kind of put him back on his heels. He began to say that it was the first time in his life that he realized that his dad was also God's son. And he realized that, boy, I I really could. By the way that I speak and by the way that I act, I could actually be the one opposing God's work in someone's life. I wonder sometimes if that's why Jesus says it's just so important for us when we have opposition to turn the other cheek and to walk a second mile and to hold our tongue and to save our opinion. But a profound amount of humility. Yeah, opposition can come from everyone. It can come from anyone. It can even come from me. Wait a second, I thought I was the one that was in charge of this family and I was the one that was leading Andrea and I was the one that was guiding my sons through. I think I was. And there were days, if I can just say it humbly, that I was part of the problem. And there were probably were instances more than I ever really realized where I was actually opposing a work that God was doing in them. Is that not just... I, I don't mean it like it's terrifying because there's still things I got to do and say, but is it not humbling? Anyone, everyone, me. Jesus says that it's going to come from home. I don't know if you noticed in the text, there's a lot of uh, sarcasm in the text. To understand it, in its context, the feeding of the 5,000 has happened, and Jesus had all these people that were with him until he preached this really difficult message about just who he is and the demands that he has on people's lives, and then they leave. And as those who are disciples of Jesus leave, and Jesus now has less, his brothers to show up to try to just, you know, help him along. Put it in its context. I really think that what the brothers are doing is they're saying something like this. Hey, Jesus, I hear things aren't going well. (laughs) You always thought you were better than us. Isn't it amazing? They sound like Reuben and um, Judah and Simeon and Levi, Joseph's brothers. Here comes that dreamer. And what do they say to Jesus? Why, why don't you go up to Jerusalem for this? It's a, it's a great time. There's a lot of fervor and a lot of excitement and there's a lot of people that's saying you're the Messiah. Why don't you go up and try to just limit the damage because I hear things aren't going well. Why don't you go up and do some more of your miracles and see if you can gain some of those people back? They're mocking him. You know how you know? Because verse five makes it very clear. After they make their statement, John adds this comment, for not even his brothers believed in him. 
And by the way, Jesus responds back, and hear me, and everything Jesus does is right and good and perfect. And what he does in that moment is he clarifies. Listen, you, you guys can go up anytime you want. He actually deceives his brother. We'll save the theological implications for that for another message, but he literally deceives his brothers. I'm not going up now. You can go up anytime. This is what he says. For people who oppose Jesus, you can go up, you can do whatever you want to do because the things that you are about, the things that you care about have no lasting importance or value in the mind of God or in the sight of God. Like you, any time is the right time for you. This has been so interesting for me to think. Like, I think one of the reasons why I have freedom in my life is not the freedom that comes from Christ, but it actually might be a freedom because it really doesn't have a lot of eternal significance. And that's a scary kind of freedom. But that's what Jesus says to his brothers. Any time is good for you because what you're doing, when he says it doesn't matter, it's got consequences, but it doesn't have a God dimension to it. So go right ahead. I'm not going up. And then Jesus goes up at that right time. And he makes that declaration very, very clear. And Jesus himself has to deal with this tension that I have brothers and sisters, I have family that, that don't understand who I am and that don't understand the implications of who I am. Now, by the way, just in case you don't know how this story resolves, um, we don't know about all of them, but we definitely know about two of them who actually have books written in the Bible, Holy Spirit-guided pens. And they refer to Jesus as not just bro, but their Savior and their God. So God redeems it. But Jesus speaks very honestly, I believe like sympathetically, but it's a sympathy in which he speaks the truth in love and, and there's some sting in it. I think it's good for us to realize that there are those times in our lives where the kind of pain that exists is a, is a good pain. And Jesus is offering that. You know, the good pain? Have you ever worked out and said, man, that was really, really hard, but it was a good pain? Like, I haven't, but I've heard that it exists. <laughs> Andrew, I always thought it was crazy. I loved, I, I got my braces kind of later on in life, and I'd, I'd come back from having that, and I, I kind of liked, how many of you had braces? Did any of you like, like, that good pain? I did. It felt like something was happening. Thank you. There's like two or three of you that get it. Like if I have like a, a cut or, or something and it seems like it's getting a little infected, I kind of like cleaning it out. I kind of like, it just that, that pain says that something's good happening. Now doing that relationally is so hard. It is so hard. It is so needed. Close from home? Um, how many of you have heard me tell a story about my father? <laughs> Anyone? <laughs> yeah. Um, I've had a lot of conversations with my dad over the years, and uh, just this last trip home, and I've always had some concerns about my dad's perspective and understanding of who Jesus is. And we've got into some serious conversations. But I, I do, I just... I really understand, like no other time in my life, what it means. 
to try to figure out how to honor my father and make sure that no matter what, I honor Jesus more. Like no matter what the cost. And I don't get to just pick, is it dad or Jesus? It's a false dichotomy. No, 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 no. I'm called to honor my father. You've been called to love your friends. You've been called to love your wife and to care for your husband and your children and your grandchildren. As you make the most of Jesus, as you understand who Jesus is, it's not best for any of us if we take who we understand Jesus to be and what we expect or what Jesus expects from us and then water it down or find a denominator that makes no difference to any of us and then to move forward like somehow we're being faithful. Like none of that is right or appropriate. None of it. And sometimes it hurts so much because that just hits so close from home. And that's why we need Jesus more than anything else. Jesus knows and he responds. You know what's interesting? Jesus' response here has everything to do with discernment and judgment. Jesus says in verse 24, our last verse in the text, Stop judging according to outward appearance, but rather judge according to righteous judgment. That's his accusation. You Pharisees, you're, you're, you're looking at this externally. You, you, you Pharisees and Sadducees, you, you disciples of mine, you former disciples of mine, you brothers of mine, you sisters of mine, you whatever of mine, you only know how to look at things from a worldly perspective. He says this over and over and over again. You need righteous judgment. And you know what he's talking about. But we judge by external appearance. He's my dad. Therefore, therefore what? Well, I need to speak in such a way, hear me, that's still honoring, but honoring. But those are my grandkids. And I promise that I'd support them no matter what. I, I get it. I'm all for supporting them but you better support them by supporting them. Or else you're not helping. You're not. You're not loving. You're not. That's what the Bible teaches. That's John 7. And we got to come to terms with actually what that means because Jesus doesn't just say, I'm the best of all options and I think that I can be a little more helpful in your circumstances. No, Jesus says it all begins and ends right here. And if you have me, you have life. And if you don't have me, you don't have life. And so when you and I take a path of least resistance and we're trying to save our battles and our conversations for the ones that matter most, and then we never get around to that. Am I the only one that just sometimes never gets around to that? Because that's me sometimes. It still matters. And Jesus says, I, I need you to make righteous, to quit looking by outward appearance. And that could mean a lot of different things. And I just think I know a lot of people that make decisions and judgments based on outward appearance. But they're my friends. An outward appearance, it's, it's my son. I just promised him I'd be with him no matter what. And Jesus says, don't live like that. Make righteous judgments. 
Love them in the way that you should love them, not in the way that is easiest for you. So here's what we're going to reflect on before we gather around the table. Because we're going to move from here, and, and I don't know, I mean, it's, Thanksgiving's a while away, so maybe we can spend some intentional time preparing for conversations that will then be good around the table. Like maybe there are some conversations that need to happen, and by the way, they might not even happen today. Like conversations that are not just close to home, but they're in your home. About who Jesus is. And about his implication, the implications of what it actually means to follow him. So number, question number one I want you to reflect on is, what is happening inside of me? What is my internal response? I, I think it's good for us to stop and say, why am I so afraid to talk about this? What am I afraid of losing? And don't run from them. Like before you do anything, like take an inventory about like what you believe about Jesus and and, and by the way, there's still a time to speak and a time to be silent. There's a time for everything. And, and maybe I, the Bible seems to speak very clearly that the best thing to do is to begin with this. God, I, I need your help to figure out like why I'm so afraid. Why I'm so angry. That's not helpful either. Remember, you don't want to be the one that God has to say, don't get in the way of what I'm doing someone that you love clearly who you believe is actually opposing the God's work in you they're probably still a child of God and let's be careful let's be intentional God what's happening inside of me number two ask this how can I model Jesus to those who oppose me pray for those turn the other cheek for those and when they repent and then they do it again and they repent and they do it again and they repent. Don't make me do it as many times as Jesus said. We continue to forgive, don't we? Jesus, what does that look like? How do I understand who you are? How do I understand the opposition? How do I honor you in all of that? Let's spend a few moments just reflecting on those before we eat and drink.